there's a ladybug up here. That's nice. I was going to pick it up, but it didn't want to come. Good morning. Uh, if you haven't <clears throat> had a chance to check out the Bible Project videos, they do incredible videos uh, and give you recaps of every book of the Bible. Bibleproject.org? .org. .com. One of those. Bible Project. Just Google it. Uh, so we cut that one off a little bit because I didn't want to spoil the rest of the letter for you. But uh, if, you're, if you're just itching to see the rest, the last five minutes, you can go on there and highly recommend it. And uh, now the ladybug is on my notes. Look, she's a little, little guy. Fly. Do, yeah, do they fly? Yeah, I don't know. Got in here somehow. <clears throat> Sorry, that was a distraction. Well, I'm glad you guys are with us this morning. Uh, thankful for the Lord for this beautiful day. And I don't know about you, but I love having the kids and the youth in here. Uh, props to the little ones for singing. Yep. <clears throat> and for the, for the gents doing the announcements, thank you. You guys are awesome. And we have people, uh, kids helping with uh, slides. My boy Noah's back there. Kids helping with uh, greeting and passing out bulletins. And we also have Bibles available that kids would love to bring you if you need one. So if you need a copy of God's Word today, put up your hand and some of these little ones would love to bring you that. Don't, don't let them miss out. Yeah, there we go. They, they need something. Yeah, there we go. Even if you have a Bible, you might want to just put your hand up just so that, yeah, that's, you know, they could bring you a Bible. Now, we only have like seven or eight people, so. Oh. <laughs> uh. Oh, up here, Harley Mae. Look at my little sweet pea right here. Give it to Miss Tiffany. Or Miss Christina too. Oh, good job. You guys are doing great. Just as a side note, this is our second time with kids in the service. Um, if you don't know, I have four children ranging from age 6 to now almost 14. And so if your kids are making noise and rolling around on the ground, great. Uh, this is the family of God. This is the, the body of Christ. Uh, it includes children, and children make noise. And if that bothers you, I love you. <laughs> it's only once a month. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, if we, oh, and kiddos, if you did not get an activity bag, because you don't want to listen to this old guy talk, uh, you can put up your hand and we will bring you uh, an activity bag that has all sorts of little things you can do and things to distract you. So uh, those will be in the back with Miss Amber. So if you need one, if you got in here without that, don't miss out. And some of you adults might want one, but no, you don't get one. <clears throat> and the ladybug flew away. So some of you, somebody's going to get a ladybug coming up on them. Well, church, we are in week two of a seven-week series through the book of Titus. And last week we looked at verses one through four of chapter one. And if you remember, Paul made this really unflattering reference about the Cretans, right, which he took actually from one of their own poets. This was a guy named uh, Epimenides, and he was the one in a poem about his countrymen who called them lazy evil, fat liars, basically. 
you know, it's, it's a nice way to speak about your fellow brothers and sisters on the island. But that society, they were known for having exceptionally low moral standards. I, in fact, lying was something to be prized. If you lied well, you were actually esteemed in that culture as a good liar. But Paul wanted the Cretan believers to be different. To have right doctrine and right devotion as they followed Jesus. In other words, instead of simply looking like their culture while claiming to be Christians, Paul wanted them to know the truth of God's word and then live that truth as examples to their Cretan brothers and sisters. Kind of sounds familiar. Like today's culture here in America, perhaps. See, in today's passage, the first thing that Paul is going to tell Titus is to appoint elders in every town. To appoint elders in every town. Now this might seem like an odd first request to a new pastor. Of all the things that he could have done, why appoint elders? What about small groups and to make sure you have, you know, your worship ministry all squared away? What about the kids? You know, what are you supposed to do with all that? But his very first task for Titus was to appoint elders in every town. You see, Paul intends for the local congregation to grow in their faith through discipleship and through the devotion of the elders who were their living example of how to follow Jesus. Through the sound doctrine found in God's word that the elders also protected and promoted. So let me ask you, church, let's stand together. And we are going to read from the screen all together, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And kids, if you can't read, you get to listen. That's okay. All right, starting there in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray together. Father God, this is your holy, infallible word that speaks its truth over us and, and calls us to both follow and submit. So, Lord, I pray this morning for soft hearts, not just for those out there, but for me up here as well, that we would be transformed into Christ-likeness by the, by the power of your word, through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So speak your truth to us today, and Lord, help us to live it, to be faithful followers of you and not dirty cretins. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.
that one just, you know, it's just so easy. I'm going to use it several more times because it's a delight. You know, when you have those phrases that you just, you come across, you're like, oh, that's where that came from. Oh. So you could tell all your friends Epimenides told you about Cretans. Don't be a Cretan. Oh, the ladybug's back. I, I got to not be distracted by that. I'm sorry. I like nature and stuff. Yeah. So if God's people are going to cling to right doctrine and be devoted to their Savior in all things, then they need godly elders, those who by their example and teaching show them what it means to live a life of faithfulness. See, Paul wants these Cretan Christians to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord, to be discipled, to become mature in their faith. And to resist the sinful worldliness of that culture that was all around them. And so the very first thing he tells Titus is to go into every city where there's a church all around the island and appoint elders. Now what are elders for? Paul sees elders as essential for the spiritual well-being of a church. Elders are called to disciple others and set an example of faithful living to the people in the church. <clears throat> Christian discipleship happens through the local church. And it involves the careful ministry not just of a pastor or even a couple pastors or even one elder or shepherd, but of a group of elders. A plurality of elders should be the biblical norm for every church. Now, how do I know that? Because Paul tells Titus to appoint elders in every city as I directed you in verse 5. Now, the word elders is plural and every city is singular. Implying that Paul wants Titus to appoint several elders to serve in each individual church around the island. Each of those house churches that was around that entire island. Now, having multiple elders provides that team with accountability, with support, more wisdom, and a diversity of gifts to serve the church. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that God gave his church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, this is just one of the ways that God protects and cares for us as his people. And Paul's reminding Titus of this need for them to appoint leaders in these positions so that the people could grow in their faith and grow in holiness. Now, verses 6 through 8, we see that the elders are given to the church to be an example for them. Paul writes this. He says, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination... For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. You see, we as Christians, we're constantly tempted by the things in this world, right? The enemy seeks to devour us, to destroy us, and it's easy for us to get caught up in the practices of this world. It's exactly what was happening in Crete. The culture infiltrated the church 
And the church started to look like the culture and not the other way around. And so Paul is telling Titus, appoint elders to counter that. Appoint biblically qualified men of the Lord to live as an example for the rest of the church. Now verse 6, we see that they are first to be examples in their homes. Fostering godliness and faithfulness in their own family. So if an elder is going to foster godly living in the church, they must first foster that godly living in their own home. With their spouse, with their children. They are called to be faithful husbands. It literally says the husband of one wife. So any elders that want to be polygamous, you're out. No options there for you. They are men who are characterized by marital fidelity. They also must be good parents whose children are well behaved. Verse 6 says that his children are believers. Uh, it actually can also be translated as that his children are faithful. Uh, the Greek word is actually the same there. Now the next phrase actually tells us what Paul means by that. It says, an elder's children must not be open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Debauchery, and those are nice big words. Basically what that means is their children are not participating in the same sinful practices as their peers around them. They're not rebellious. They're not disobedient to their parents. Now I will say on as a side note, this does assume that the kids are still living under their parents' roofs and are not grown adults. So this does not apply to parents with grown children. So if your kids moved out and flew off the handle a little bit, that doesn't disqualify you necessarily, right? No. We can get through all the idiosyncrasies later. but Now, character, <coughs> excuse me. Actually, let me go back. I lost my place. Oh, because elders are appointed to disciple believers and set an example for them, that idea of their home being the first place of faithfulness and obedience is one of the things that Paul sets out as, as of primary importance. He then goes on in verses 7 and 8. I think I squished the ladybug. Where'd she go? It was on my finger. I just flicked it. I don't know. Oh, man. I'm never going to leave this one down, you know. Just all these distractions. Sorry, I'll, I will focus. Paul goes on in verses 7 to 8 to talk about the example of an elder's character. Now, most of us think elder, leader in the church, they should have these kinds of, of skills. But the Bible actually lists only one skill for an elder, the ability to teach. That doesn't even mean they need to be able to preach. They just need to be able to teach the word of God. But every other quality has to do with their character. Their character as men of faith. And actually Paul lists in verse 7 five vices that are not to be part of an elder's life. And then in verse 8, he lists six virtues that should be part of an elder's life. Now, I also want to point out that two times, Paul says that an elder is to be above 
reproach. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be above reproach? It surely doesn't mean sinless perfection or that no church would have any elders ever or pastors for that matter. Above reproach means to not be open to a justified attack or criticism in terms of the, of the Christian life. If you have broken relationships because of a behavior that binds you, that is a disqualifying characteristic. And, and particularly in the areas that Paul's listing out here, which we'll go over in a minute. So an elder is a man who is not controlled by their sin. Do they sin? Yes, because we're all humans and we're walking towards holiness. But it's a man who then, when confronted with their sin, runs back to Jesus in repentance constantly. Look carefully at verse 7. Here, here are the five vices that should not be a part of an elder's life. It says an elder must not be controlled by pride, anger, alcohol, power, or wealth. You might think that eliminates almost everyone. But again, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a heart and, a, and, a, and an attitude towards these behaviors that shows that, hey, I'm moving towards Jesus in these areas. An elder must also be above reproach in the positive virtues. It's interesting that he lists the first one as hospitality. And he says, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and living a self-controlled life. In other words, an elder is called to invite others into his home and to show them the hospitality of the Lord. An elder is called to be a virtuous man, to love what is good, and be a man of sound mind. An elder is called to be sensible and fair and to live a holy and devoted life to God. Self-controlled and disciplined. These are the characteristics of someone who is called to serve as an elder. Now, verses 7 and 8 remind us of two important things. First, it reminds us you need to pray for your elders. Because you've got to know how every elder feels when they hear me read these verses. Or a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 3. They feel about this big because they know in their heart that they failed in one of those areas. Or maybe several. This shouldn't be a discouragement. Elders, brothers, I love you. Don't let this be a discouragement. Let this be a reminder of the great calling that you've been given. That you are called to put on Christ and be an example so that others in this body would do the same. And my heart as, as, as a pastor is the same. I know I'm going to fail you. I know I'll say something at some point that will irk you or hurt your feelings or I'll just do something stupid. But I hope you see the heart that I have to turn towards Jesus even in my failures. Brothers, this is the Christian life. And elders are there to show you that that's how it works. That's when you fall on your face, you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and you run back to Christ. So pray for your elders. 
pray that they would put these characteristics on daily so that they could be good examples to all of us. It also reminds us that these character qualities are not just for elders. You see, we think, oh, there's a big list and it says these are for elders, so I'm off the hook. Except Paul was writing to to Titus saying, hey, point these elders so that they can live like this so that everyone else would also be like this. So when you read that list of qualifications for an elders, it is also your list. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to wrestle with that list. Where am I lacking in these areas? Where do I need to repent and turn back to the Lord? What attitudes do I have that don't line up with who God has called me to be? See, the reason these traits are required of the elders is because they are the ones who show us that example. And Paul wants to see this entire congregation look just like that. Now the second thing elders are for is for communicating truth and confronting errors. This is the part we don't like as much, but it's what scripture says. So look with me at verse 9. Because elders are for right doctrine. Verse 9 says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The elders are given to the church to hold firm to the word of God so that they can teach and correct those who might speak otherwise. Which means, brothers and sisters, That if an elder confronts you on a biblical view you have about something, we all have something a little sideways on something we believe, right? Then your job is to submit to that. Your job is to then run back to the word and see your error because they are doing it for your protection, for your sake. An elder is called to defend the faith against false teachers because they are the ones who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Now, if an elder is pointing you to something that's not in the word of God, then come find me. We'll take him outside. No, we won't do that really. The Bible for an elder is the ultimate source of all doctrine, instruction, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. It is where we run when we don't know the answer. It is what we stand upon when we're beat up or discouraged. And it is what we're trying to point you to around every corner. There is no other option for us. It's not about how we feel or what the culture says we should think. It's about what God's word says is true. The heartbeat of an elder should be to see people growing in their faith. And they lead us by example and disciple us along the way because they love each and every one of you. Which means you need to get to know each other. Uh, If you don't know who the elders are, I'm going to put it on you. Invite them over. Invite them and their families into your home that they can be that example for you. Because guess what that's going to do? It's going to put that bar a little higher. (laughs) And it's good. It's what should should happen. 
the elders are called to protect the sheep from wolves by being devoted to sound doctrine so that you as the body of believers can flourish and develop in your walk of faith with Jesus. This is what elders are for. So my prayer is that would that God would continue to raise up men in this congregation who meet these spiritual qualifications. And maybe you're thinking there, I I should be an elder. Great. Come talk to me. I would love to wrestle that out with you. Church cannot have too many. Maybe too many, but all the examples we can get, we'll take. And may God continue to help those who are already elders in this congregation to live out their calling and to grow us all in his grace because of their example. Look to them, church. Look at their lives and imitate them as they follow Jesus. Now, there's another group of church leaders found in Scripture. It's not found anywhere in the book of Titus, but I'm going to divert just for the sake of our topic because I can. And it's another group that the Lord has given to the church as a gift. And we call these leaders deacons. Now, the title deacon tells us about their leadership role in the church. The English word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means literally servant. So the role of a deacon is simply to serve, to meet the physical needs of the people of God. Now because Titus doesn't specifically talk about deacons, I'm going to point you to some passages and we're going to read one in in Acts chapter 6 in a moment. But you can find the qualifications for a, a deacon there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, the beginning talks about qualifications for elders. Then the second half through verse 13 talks about qualifications for deacons. And you'll actually notice if you want to do an interesting word study, how similar the qualifications are. But I want to look at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 because that is the moment when the role of deacon was established in the early church. So turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to see seven people who were chosen as the first deacons. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now the creation of the role of deacon in the church made it possible for the elders to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. And these are the two key functions that an elder should be spending his time on. The ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. And deacons pick up 
the slack of the things that need to be done in the church so that the elders can focus on those things. So the elders are given the role of caring for the spiritual needs of the people. The deacons are appointed to provide for the physical needs of the church. The day-to-day ministries that happen. Concerns of the deacons were the practical details of church life, administration, maintenance, the care of church members with physical needs. And in the case of Acts chapter 6, the example we're given is that the Hellenist widows were coming for food distribution, which widows were given food by the church. But they were getting overlooked in that daily distribution and they were giving it to the Hebrew widows first and overlooking these Hellenist widows. So deacons, a deacon role is to make sure the church is functioning well and to support the church by sacrificially giving of their time and talents. Now this doesn't mean that elders never deal with physical needs and it doesn't mean that deacons never deal with spiritual needs. But these are their primary functions and roles within the church. Now the qualifications I told you are there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. And they are very similar in many ways with the qualification for elders. Those who are ordained as deacons must be honest, must run their households well. And Paul stresses that the deacons may not be greedy for dishonest gain. Because they handle goods and finances and distribute them to those in need. Now again, the exact tasks of a deacon is never spelled out specifically in scripture. We have this one example in Acts chapter 6. So I believe that they can actually take on any role that allows them to help the elders focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. But like elders, the tasks themselves don't define a deacon. The ministries you oversee, deacons in this room... The ministries you oversee do not define you as a deacon. Your character does. Both elders and deacons are required to have a high level of character to be qualified for their role. And both of these roles are essential to a healthy church life. So I would encourage you, church, this week, spend some time reflecting on Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. And pray for those serving in these roles here at Cornerstone. And thanking the Lord for the gift that they are to this church. There's a lot of things that happen here week in and week out because of these folks. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to do something different. Because I like to mix it up and it's good. I'm going to invite our elder team to come on up. And uh, gents, if you're in the room, I see several of you. Come on up to the stage. You guys can... Oh, look, we got this nice big space. Look. I'll put you guys on the spot. Thank you. <clears throat> and we're missing two gentlemen uh, Michael Sachi and Anthony Stevenson, who are both, I'm guessing, working because that's part of the deal. Uh, so this is Neil Jones, Ron Falstaff. Noah Numana and Jason Jabot. Yep. And I, I just want to say, for me personally, what a privilege it is to work and serve alongside you gentlemen. To see your heart, uh, both for the Lord and, and for all these people. Uh, it shines brightly in who you are. Uh, 
your character and your example to us uh, is a delight. And I, I, I'm blessed to call you each brother. So I want to pray over these godly men to thank the Lord uh, for the gift they are to this church. And then uh, we'll call some deacons up here in a minute. So if you're a deacon in this room, get ready. Let me just uh, pray over these gents and, and thank the Lord for them. Father God, we love to see how you organize and, and, and set up your church. But you know full well exactly what we need. And you've given it to us uh, in godly men who seek to serve and honor you with their very lives. So I pray for the, for the character of these four men and for the two that can't join us. That they would be challenged and spurred on to be more like you daily so that they could live as an example to this flock of who you are. Help them to serve faithfully. Help them to cling steadfastly to your word. And may they honor you in all that they say and do. For your glory and yours alone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, gents, don't go anywhere. We're going to invite all our deacons to come up. And uh, come on, people, don't be shy. There you go. Come on. So we want to pray over them as well. Like they did in Acts chapter 6, they brought them before the elders. The elders laid their hands on them and prayed over them. And, uh, and we want to do that. And now this is a brand new team for the most part. Uh, we had a digging team, but, you know, COVID and things kind of made things a little sticky. I keep coming, keep coming. Look at all these lovely folks. Can you go down a little bit more? And we're, we're missing several others as well. And I'm not going to remember them all because, you know, who's where's Al? Oh, I, I was going to say I saw Carol. Okay. Al is our new missions director. So I was excited for them, uh, him to be here as well. But um, let me ask these lovely folks to, to just introduce themselves, tell them, tell you their name and the ministry that they serve with. And, uh, and then I'm going to ask uh, Neil to, to, we're going to lay our hands on these folks and we're going to pray over them uh, as we close. So I'll start down here with Amber. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Good morning. I am Amber Pluckhan and I help in children's ministry and I run our Mops and Moms Next ministry. Woo. Good morning. I'm Athena Brockman and I help with the women's ministry team. Hi, I'm Jessica and I help run the children's ministry. Good morning, Christina Fajada, and I, um, Deacon of the Missions Ministry. Thank you. And I'm Del Elias, and um, I guess mostly women's ministry, but whatever. <laughs> I'm Heike Powell, and I'm the leader of the church ministry, um, praying ministry at this church. Uh, Kent and Alyssa Van Horn, we're young adults and foster care. I'm Elena, and I lead the worship ministry. Okay. Now you've met them, uh, we're going to pray over these folks. So if you could pray with me, I'd appreciate that. Heavenly Father, we ask that you pour generously your Holy Spirit uh, in their lives and fill them with uh, love and compassion and allow them to see their brothers and sisters in Christ as you see them. And Lord, we ask that you equip these folks mightily 
so that they can carry out the duties that they have been assigned to fulfill. And Lord, we ask all these things in your son's precious name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you all. Appreciate it. And again, my, my encouragement to you, church family, is if you don't know any of those lovely folks, uh, get to know them. And same goes for you, elders and deacons. If you don't know these folks, you can invite them over because you get to practice hospitality. And it's good. So what we're going to do now as we close in this last song, uh, this is something we haven't done before, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to ask the elders to just position themselves around the room. Um, if you need prayer for anything, uh, if you're sick or you're just struggling with sin or you just want an elder to pray and anoint you with oil because life's been hard, uh, they're going to position themselves around the room during this last song. Just go find one of these men. Let them serve you. Let them pray over you and lay their hands on you and, and speak God's truth over your life. So as we sing, just, just make your way, find them. Uh, if you guys want to spread out somewhere so they can see you. You just saw them, so now you know who they are. They'll be around. Come find them. Let them pray for you. And then let's worship the Lord together. Amen? Amen.